This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sunday, December 24th, 2023. I'm Chad Pergram. A glass of whiskey is as American as apple pie. Who was the first distiller in the nation? What makes it scotch? What makes it whiskey? And how does it all tie into Congress? I see things like Dow Yoon, and I see Ben Romick, and I see Glendronic. These are a little more obscure whiskeys, which you'll see here once in a while, but you can usually only get there. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. We look back at a time when multiple Republican candidates were swarming Iowa, showing up at the state fair, trying to win over voters just a few months ago. You know, just walking through the livestock barns. So just making sure that these candidates recognize the importance of agriculture, not just to Iowans, but the importance of, of feeding our entire nation. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. A major trade dispute between the European Union and the United States was avoided recently. You know, a couple of years ago when uh, President Trump was in office, they put major tariffs on steel and aluminum being shipped from the European Union to the United States. Well, the retaliatory tariff that the EU put on, uh, on American products was for motorcycles and guess what? Whiskey and American bourbon. And so there was been a big trade dispute back and forth for quite a while here. Uh, they thought they were going to go to an increase in these tariffs in 2021, but they suspended them for two years. Well, guess what was coming up here? The end of that suspension of the tariffs. And so these tariffs were supposed to go up by 50 percent at the end of the year here. If you were making American whiskey or bourbon and sending that to the EU, that is the biggest market abroad for American produced uh, distilled spirits. And so what they did at the last minute is they put out the fire, they scrambled around, and were able to get a deal to suspend these tariffs at least through early 2025, so past the next presidential election. There was a bipartisan letter sent by Mitch McConnell, Rand Paul, guess what, a bourbon-producing state of Kentucky, uh, Tim Kaine from Virginia, Catherine Cortez Masto, the Democratic senator from uh, Nevada, uh, Bill Haggerty, Republican senator from Tennessee. They wrote to Catherine Tai, who's the U.S. Trade Representative, and said, we need to work this out by the end of the year. Well, they, they certainly did, and so those tariffs are not going to go up. But when I interviewed Senator Kane about this, he talked about how there was a, a small distiller in northern Virginia, just about an hour and change outside Washington, D.C. He said until he started looking at this situation, he was unaware at how much product they sent to the European Union. It's really amazing how some of these products have taken off in the European Union that are produced in the United States. Now, why? Now, I travel often to Scotland. This is kind of a passion of mine, understanding what they produce in Scotland. And it's no big deal over here in the United States to see things from Glenfiddich, which is a very well-known uh, distillery, or Glenmorangie, or Macallan. Okay, those are the big boys a lot of times you see in the United States. But how many of you have heard of Dalyoon, or Linkwood, or Deanston, 
or Bladnock. Okay, a little more off the beaten path there. And sometimes you'll see one or two of these, like I used to always see like a Deanston 10 or a Deanston 12. I wouldn't see something that's a little more Baroque. Well, I tell you this story because when I go to the United Kingdom and I go to Scotland, I see things like Dow Yoon, and I see Ben Romick, and I see Glendronic. These are a little more obscure whiskeys, which you'll see here once in a while, but you can usually only get there. So the same principle is at work. So if I'm a European, and I'm used to seeing my Jim Beam, and I'm used to seeing my you know, Jack Daniels and whatever else, and then I see something from Colorado, or then I see something from, oh, I don't know, Northern Virginia, what Senator Kane was talking about, something that's a little sweeter than usual scotch whiskeys, something that is produced with a different mash bill, you know, uh, you know, bourbon here in the United States produced with corn. They use uh, um, a different uh, mash bill in, in, in when you're producing scotch, you use barley for that purpose. You're going to get something very different. Uh, in fact, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day who was talking about Tasman whiskey from Tasmania. And in fact, if you look at the map of how many different distilleries are in, uh, on the island of Tasmania, which is a province in Australia. It's astonishing. And I've never really had much Tasmanian whiskey because why? It's hard to get it here. We're back to tariffs. We're back to trade. So if I'm a European and I'm starting to enjoy something from the United States, oh, I can get my Jim Beam. Yeah, I might see some Heaven Hill. But if I get some of these more, you know, off the beaten path uh, whiskeys and bourbons, you know, that's going to be a little bit different than what my palate is used to. And so that's why, you know, when you when you get these tariffs in place, it's hard to get these products in other uh, parts of the world. And, you know, you kind of limit the palate. It's one thing to get the things from your country. This is where, in my experience, you know, I, I have a couple of Finnish whiskeys in my collection, something called Terenpeli, Terenpeli, which is from Finland. And it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, one of my colleagues here is a gift uh, some months ago, and I'd always talked about this. I have a Minnesota whiskey now. Why is a Minnesota whiskey interesting to me? Well, if you go to the island of Isla in, in Scotland, that's known as the Whiskey Isle, they're known for producing these very peated whiskeys. In other words, there's a lot of smoke. And so peat is this organic land matter. It's basically just, you know, the earth, and it's, you know, millions of years old, usually in a wetter area. So you're around the ocean, you're around these bays or whatever. So you get a lot of that in Scotland. Well, as much peat as Scotland and Ireland and Northern Ireland have, the place that has the most peat on the planet is Minnesota. Why? The state of 10,000 lakes. Paul Bunyan, you know, get the whole thing there. So I said to somebody, I said to my colleague, I said, I would love to get my hands, if it exists, on a Minnesota peated whiskey. And as God is my witness, my friend had gone to the Minnesota State Fair and found something called Brother Justice, J-U-S-T-U-S. -S. It's produced in Minneapolis, and because they have a lot of peat in Minnesota, guess what? They've produced a peated, cold peated, they say, uh, whiskey. When, they, when we talk about the peat, what they do is they take the barley, and you have to malt or dry the barley. Anytime you see the term malt, that's what that's referring to. And so you can dry it with anything. You can dry it with electric heat fire, anything. So, but, but a lot of times what they do, and this is kind of how, why it started out in, in Scotland, is they would use the natural things that they had at their, uh, you know, at, at arm's length. And so they had a lot of peat. So they use that to heat their homes, but also to dry their barley and making their whiskey. And if you get this, this peat from Isla, as I say, uh, it's going to be very smoky and medicinal and phenolic. 
And so that's the type of whiskey that they're going to produce on Isla because they use that to dry the barley and those types of notes get into the whiskey. So the Brother Justice, the, the, the whiskey from Minnesota that I had, uh, it's not going to be as intense as, say, a Lagavulin, which is something you'll find from Isla or a Laphroaig or an Ardbeg, the, the Kalila. Those are probably the three or four most smoky ones on, uh, on Isla. Brooklotti, in fact, I should, would be remiss if I didn't mention them just because they produce the, the most heavily peated whiskey in the world, something called the Octomore which is the actual name of a farm, which is just down the road from the distillery. I went for a, a jog one afternoon past that, past the Octomore farm, but the Octomore is the most heavily peated, just how many parts per million the peat is into the barley. But when you have the Brother Justice, that's going to be a little bit different. It doesn't have that same intensity. Uh, that's not a good thing. That's not a bad thing. It's just different. And because you're dealing with an American-made product, it's going to taste different from what they may make in Scotland. And a lot of times in Scotland, they love to get their hands on a good American barrel uh, that's been used for bourbon over here. The folks in the building with the big white dome, vis-a-vis -vis the U.S. Capitol, they only allow barrels to be used once in the United States. And that's to maintain a cooperage industry in the U.S. So if you have your Heaven Hill or Four Roses or Jim Beam or whatever, they use that American oak, usually from Missouri or eastern Ohio or eastern Kentucky somewhere. They use it once. And then they got to do something else with it. Well, the folks in Scotland, they don't do this exclusively, but they love to get their hands on a good bourbon barrel. And when I walk through uh, Glen Scotia in Campbelltown or Glen Grant up in Speyside, these are two other regions of, of Scotland where they produce whiskey. There's, there's five or six, depending on how you, you, you track it. You will go to the warehouse and you'll see Jim Beam, Old Forester, uh, uh, it just goes on, you know, Buffalo Trace, it, it goes on and on. You see these barrels because they'll get those barrels and it has those bourbon notes inside of it and they will use it maybe three to four times, stretched out over maybe a 40, 50 year period, depending on the age statement of the of the whiskey that they're making. In fact, it was funny one time I, I had come back from uh, Glenn Grant, which I mentioned earlier, and I was talking with the Senate uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, of course, and I showed him all the different barrels that they had from Kentucky. And he said, you mean they use our barrels over there when they produce their product? And I said, yes. And he kind of chortled and looked at me. He said, well, I guess that means that what we produce in Kentucky is the best. Okay, maybe, maybe not. But they can use their own barrels there. A lot of times they will finish the barrels, sometimes in a wine cask, uh, sometimes Pedro Jimenez they get from Spain or, or, or sometimes a port barrel or something like that. Uh, but but that's, that's something they, they've been rather creative with the past few years uh, to, to get creative to, to maybe um, finish it. You know, they'll put something in a barrel for maybe 10 years and then maybe finish it in something else for one or two, sometimes like a Sauterne. I've seen Glen Morangy um, do that up to the north. So that's another way to, to do that. Um, you know, we talk about having different spirits this time of year. I, I'm always thought, uh, I always think about this a lot at the Capitol because you think about how much um, that alcohol is tied to the creation of the American government. The first distiller in the United States was George Washington. In fact, they reopened the distillery that they at Mount Vernon that George Washington had. I think this was in 2006. Uh, now King Charles uh, came over at one point uh, to visit the distillery. I was at an event several years ago where they had the main distillers from Glenmorangie, 
Bill Lumsden, uh, John Campbell from Lafroy, Le- who's not there now. He just he just left uh, about it within the past year, and then the um, main distiller from Cardew, which is very central in the making of Johnny Walker, and they were trying to do a three-year-old whiskey at George Washington's Distillery, which is just down the road from Mount Vernon. It's part of the whole Mount Vernon operation. In fact, it's one of the most visited distilleries in the United States because people go to Mount Vernon, then they go down to the distillery. So they were trying to make a a, um, a, a whiskey uh, the way George Washington would have made it, uh, and they wanted it to be aged three years. Well, the story with George Washington is that he realized that his, uh, the guy who ran the farm for him, he said, you know, George, you can make some money off this. And so he showed him what he had done. And George was like, great. So George got into this. So George was one of the first American distillers. And, and of course, uh, you know, what they were big on in those days was rum. In fact, uh, I'm told sometimes, uh, you know, when they would have people go vote, uh, you know, they would get them to vote a certain way because they would entice them with a, with, with a little bit of money. And sometimes a guaranteed ladle of rum was the deal. Uh, but, but, you know, this is how other distilled spirits in the United States uh, started to grow. Here at the Capitol, something I'm always thought, I always think a lot about, you know, we have the Rayburn House Office Building, which is named after Sam Rayburn, who was Speaker of the House off and on from the 1940s until the early 1960s. And so he had a room on the first floor of the Capitol uh, that he called the Board of Education. And the deal was is that he would meet there with some of his trusted brain trust from time to time. Or sometimes he would have members come in that he needed to vote a certain way and he brought you to the Board of Education and you would talk and thus you would be educated on how to vote. And it was, uh, you know, one of these types of uh, salons that had a lot of branch water, as he would call it, another name for the type of whiskey and things that they make. And they would hash out these big decisions right here at the U.S. Capitol. In fact, uh, they were having a meeting. Harry Truman was the vice president. They were meeting on the Board of Education. When Harry Truman uh, received a phone call, you know, he was as vice president. He was president of the Senate. And he was over at the so-called Board of Education with uh, uh, Sam Rabram at the time, just talking one afternoon. And they got a phone call in the Senate that the president had died. And then they realized, well, he wasn't in the Senate. He was over meeting with the House Speaker. And so uh, they somehow got word. I don't know if they called over to the office or somebody just walked across the Capitol and they were, you know, having a a whiskey or something to drink, a mid-afternoon drink there in Sam Rayburn's office. And then Truman realized that he had been elected or been, you know, became the president because of the death of FDR. And in fact, he ran back from the House side to the Senate side to get his hat because he couldn't leave the building without a hat. Uh, that's kind of funny because you always used to hear Reagan say that, you know, the president should never be seen without a hat. So Truman, he had not taken the oath of office, but he was not going to leave the Capitol and get his hat without getting his hat. And so he eluded his driver and went back to the Capitol, but that's or went back to the White House and became president after FDR died in 1945. But that was, you know, central again to these stories about Sam Rayburn and the branch water, as I say, meeting with the Board of Education. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. I'm Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram for the Fox News Rundown from Washington. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. 
That's shopify.com slash system. Iowa has been in focus really all year as Republican presidential candidates have crisscrossed the state. But as time passes, it's clear some candidates have been more committed than others. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis made Iowa a priority from jump and just a couple of weeks ago wrapped up visits to each of Iowa's 99 counties. I remember uh, Governor Reynolds telling me early on, you got to do all 99. Like that's the people that do that are the ones that win Iowa, but it's also just an important tradition to do uh, the full Grassley. So we decided that, that we, we, we would do it. It's not on a day-to-day basis. A lot of campaign consultants will tell you that you can be in more populated areas or you can get even get into other states. And sometimes they'll advise you not to do it. But uh, to me, it was the right thing to do. Former President Trump has spent more time in Iowa than New Hampshire. You got to get out and vote, even if you think we're going to win. Who knows? You know, sometimes polls are wrong. I mean, they got to really be wrong. That would be record setting. But, but you got to get out and vote, vote, vote. And then we worry about November. You know, do one thing first. New Hampshire is where polls have had Nikki Haley in second place, distantly so. And in Iowa, DeSantis has been most often in second place, also distantly so. The focus on Iowa from all the candidates was broader just a few months ago, back when Miami's Mayor Francis Suarez, talk show host Larry Elder, and North Dakota's Governor Doug Burgum were all still in the race, working the Iowa State Fair. But through the year, one thing has not changed, and that is the commanding lead held by former President Trump in the polls as he runs for office again. Ahead of the Iowa State Fair in August, we spoke with one of Iowa's senators about the state of the race back then and what each candidate needed to do, even as the former president dominated. Well, it is exciting to see so many of the candidates here in Iowa. We had most of them for the roast and ride. Now they're out shaking hands at the Iowa State Fair. Joni Ernst is a Republican senator from Iowa. What you'll see is many of them, their messages, while they haven't changed, Many of them are becoming much more known to the Iowa caucus goer. And so there are definitely people that are narrowing the field, wanting to hear from all of these candidates. And so they are flocking out to the Iowa State Fair just to hear more from these particular candidates. Yeah, tell us a little bit about this fair, because this is sort of like a marquee event in politics a little bit. And obviously, this is your state. You grew up on a farm. Like, do any of these potential candidates, you know, do they need to do some farm work to be like, you know, qualified to run for president? (laughs) Well, these these candidates, they don't have to do farm work. But yes, (laughs) I grew up on a farm in southwest Iowa. And so going to the state fair is natural for so many of us that grew up in agriculture. And it really is highlighting Iowa's agricultural sector, but it is more than that as well. Um, So we will have many of the candidates. I'll escort a number of them through the state fair. We will do stops at the what we call the pork tent to where we grill pork chops. Um, We hope to get them over to the cattlemen's where they will do a hot beef sundae, you know, just walking through the livestock barns. So just making sure that these candidates recognize the importance of agriculture, not just to Iowans, but the importance of, of feeding our entire nation. And most of that comes from right here in the heartland. So they don't have to be an ag expert by any means. Um, Many of us here in the state know all about ag, and we're happy to share that. 
But what we really want to see is that they can connect with the people that work in agriculture and that they will recognize and understand that being a farmer and rancher is such a noble career. And what we do for the rest of the country, um, it's, it's just truly magnificent. And, and if they recognize that, they can really reach the hearts and minds of Iowans. Senator, for those who often do meet that moment and, and, and get the hearts and minds of the Iowa voters, oftentimes, at least in modern history, they don't go on to be the nominee. Um, what, what is it about, you know, putting in a, a good ground game, maybe in Iowa and New Hampshire, but then not going on to become the nominee? Well, the awesome thing about Iowa is that we are narrowing the field. And Iowa is, we're right in the heartland, and we're very inexpensive for these candidates to participate in our caucuses. And so you can come here and not be a bazillionaire and still be able to get your name out there, get your ideas known with these GOP caucus goers. And so it is a way of narrowing the field down. Iowans are very well-versed in a lot of the issues facing America today. And they ask very good, solid questions of all of these candidates. And so while even if you finish first um, here in Iowa, maybe you're not in the end the, the final candidate, but the point is that we give every opportunity to everyone, uh, regardless of personal wealth or their ability to fundraise in the big cities on the coast. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think this is the place to be. And I'm so thankful that our GOP has maintained first in the nation caucus status. <laughs> OK, Senator, so we've got to talk about it. What do you think any one of these candidates has to do to compete with the man at the top of the polls? It, it is Donald Trump. I mean, some like Chris Christie push against him. You know, others promise to pardon him, like Vivek Ramaswamy, if the legal issues end up, you know, being unfavorable to him. And others are sort of doing this dance, you know, like DeSantis saying they, they like Trump's policies, but um, it's time for new leadership. And some of the things he said he would do didn't get done. What What is the way here? or Or is there one? Well, I think that is up to those individual campaigns, and everybody has a unique way of, of approaching it and how they close that gap with uh, President Trump. Uh, obviously, he polls very well here in Iowa. But again, I encourage our Iowans to keep an open mind. But uh, whatever works for a particular candidate, whatever they find is reaching uh, the broad swath of those Iowa caucus voters, that's what they should stick with. I think it is telling their personal stories. It is explaining to them how they are going to fix some of the failures of the Biden administration. And in the end, what we have to recognize is that we've all got to come together. This is about beating Biden um, and restoring the White House to Republican control. Um, so I, I think that Iowans, you know, if they abide by that, treat all of our candidates well, um, will ultimately uh, come together and support that final candidate, no matter who it is. Senator, to, to beat to beat President Biden, the Republican Party will need those suburban moms, those independents, those moderate voters. If Donald Trump is the nominee again, is there worry among Republicans that, you know, that that can't be done, that the, the moderates and the independents, the suburban moms can't be won back? 
No, I, I think we have a great path forward with uh, whoever our Republican candidate is. If you look at the number, uh, well, actually, let's address the top two issues here in Iowa right now. The first one is the economy. Our suburban moms really care about the economy, and they see, see that uh, President Biden has failed in absolutely every aspect of getting our economy up and going. And so I think that is something that touches home with them. And so whoever that Republican candidate is, I think we can shore up support. The number two issue is border, the southern border. Mm. Right here in Iowa, if you talk to those Republican caucus goers, it is really important that we secure our southern border. Every state has become a border state. And I visited with a sheriff uh, just a couple days ago at one of my county stops. And he said, Joni, he said, we are seeing fentanyl in our rural communities now. This touches every life in every community here in the state of Iowa. Suburban moms worry about their kids and the fact that their kids could pop what they think is an Adderall, something that they got yeah. off of Snapchat or Instagram, and then OD on fentanyl. That terrifies. That absolutely terrifies our moms out there. And so when they look at President Biden, who doesn't give a rip about the southern border, doesn't give a rip about the 300 people that die every single day from fentanyl overdoses, our moms get angry. I'm getting angry just talking about it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's something that when we come together, we're going to support the person has, that has the right policies. And it is blatantly clear to Iowans that those policies, we can't trust Joe Biden to do the right thing. Well, but Senator, on policy, you know, Democrats felt very hopeful after issue one failed in Ohio this week. If it had passed, you would have needed 60 percent of voters to agree to change the state constitution rather than a simple majority. And conservatives wanted this because this fall, Ohio voters will decide if the right to an abortion should be in their state constitution. As you know, Ohio is a red state now. But Democrats are talking about how this kind of thing might be the road to victory in 2024, you know, focusing once again on abortion. Is that their their road? Well, I think I think that will uh, certainly be a road that they will attempt to tackle. Um, but I would say that certainly we we need to take a look at this issue and understand uh, where the voters are on this issue. Um, I support life wholeheartedly. I believe that there is value in every life uh, that uh, is brought into being. Um, but we also need to educate, uh, of course, the population on the value of life. And, you know, my stance has always been, too, that I would rather prevent a pregnancy than end a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And if we can bring more of our Republicans together on issues like birth control, uh, I think that we have a strong case out there. Yeah. It is much better for those young women to have an alternative to an unexpected pregnancy. So if we can provide things like over-the-counter birth control to those that need it, I think that's where we absolutely can step in and support the right policies. Hmm. Okay, just one more for you. Um, I just want your reaction, your initial reaction to the Attorney General appointing U.S. Attorney David Weiss in Delaware as special counsel 
over the Hunter Biden investigation. As you know, that that deal over tax evasion and a gun charge fell apart. And now it appears the attorney general is uh, making David Weiss special counsel. Do you have any, I guess, initial thoughts on, on that? My initial thoughts are, thank heavens for the House Republicans that have really been providing oversight on this issue. Um, if they had not been pressing so hard on this, uh, we would have not seen this happen. We would not see that special counsel. Um, I know there's criticism of the special counsel, um, but my initial reaction is simply this, that at least we we are this far, and hopefully we see a fair and unbiased uh, investigation into Hunter Biden and his dealings uh, with foreign entities. Uh, but certainly, um, I I think it's a good step forward and praise you know praise our House Republicans for being so diligent on this issue. It really does matter. But, Senator, if if having a special counsel means there's no time constraints on an investigation, do we not have any answers until after the election? You know, that could be. Um, But bottom line is there's enough there to have a special counsel. Mm. And I think enough of uh, of our American public and I'm not just talking about Republicans. I think there's enough of the American public that have learned of what the whistleblowers have brought forward, the work that Senator Grassley has done, um, the folks in the House, um, Representative Comer and others, I think they see that this is not just a, an easy yes or no, but there's enough information out there that, you know, maybe we need to be a little wary of Hunter Biden and the big guy um, that, you know, maybe this does sway some of the voters that are just not certain about this president and the shady dealings that could have happened with some of our adversaries. Hmm. Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Great to be with you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That'll do it for this edition of the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Tomorrow, we talk to the head of fundraising for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and revisit our interview from this past spring with O'Leary Ventures chairman and investor on ABC's Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary, about the year Bud Light had after its brand partnership with a transgender influencer. Until then, thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for OutKick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on OutKick.com forward slash watch.